Good morning. Um, our title for today is P.S. I Love You. And funnily enough, we want to talk about building that intimate relationship every day. So we are taking responsibility for building the intimacy with God in our own lives so that next week we can carry on from where we left off and not have to start all over again. So over recent weeks, we've been talking about pursuing and meeting our lover in the garden. But sometimes that means we have to look at what kind of lover am I? Now, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 8, you've all heard this before, tells us, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So an immature lover can still love someone, but they tend to be more selfish. They can have a, genuinely, a genuine desire to be with the person that they love. They can have a genuine desire to pursue them, but they're preoccupied with what's in it for me. How does it benefit me? And what do I get from it personally? But a mature lover has a deeper, purer love for the one they're pursuing. They look at what can I bring to this relationship rather than what can I get from it. And they understand and are willing to truly pursue, surrender and sacrifice in the name of that love. So just ask yourself, am I an immature lover? Am I a mature lover? Am I somewhere in between? We've actually got a lot of questions to ask you today. <laughs> a lot of questions for you to ask yourself. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tony said, sometimes you've got to stop asking God questions and let him ask you a question. The same is true. Sometimes we have to ask questions of ourselves and we have to allow others to ask questions of ourselves because it shows us where we are at. It reveals a lot about us and our hearts. So some of the questions that we want to ask you and we want you to go away and ask yourself... How much time and effort do I put into pursuing the one I claim to love? How do I spend my time in the garden with my lover? Do I spend time with him? And when it comes time to leave the garden for a while, because there will be a time when you have to go out, are you prepared and are you willing? Are you ready? Do you know what's required of you in that time? So today we want to look at three stages of developing an intimate relationship. But even though these, we've said they're stages, they're not, it's not a linear, it's not a case of linear stages. It's not a simple progression of you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and everything's okay. They are three distinct stages, but they overlap. You could be in two of them at once, you could be in one of them, you could be moving from one to another, you could go backwards and forwards, you could be in all three. So there's got to be a fluid movement and it's important to recognise the season that you are in and what God is requiring you from you at this point. So which of these three stages should you be in right now or should you be in more than one? The pursuit of God. Now, I've broken it down into three different types of pursuit. 
There might be more, but I'm going with three. So you've got your everyday pursuit. So that's your seeking the word, praying every day, that kind of thing. <laughs> then there's a pursuit to know him deeper. So you want to build a more deeper, intimate relationship. You want to build a stronger relationship with God. You feel passionate about God and you want to get to know him more. So there's that pursuit. And then the third one is a pursuit to get back to God. So you may have drifted or um, you've just moved away from God slightly. You know, we've all, must have all been through a season at some point where we don't feel that close to God because we've just sort of drifted along and we've drifted and then we realize God's all the way over there. So then we have to have a pursuit to get back to him. Now, Pastor Tony preached a couple of weeks ago on pursuing. So he took some of the stuff that I was going to say. So I'll just, I'll come at it from a slightly different angle, but I just want to pick up a couple of points that he said. So he said, unless you have a heavenly encounter, your pursuit will dry up and lose its zeal. And if you don't have anything to chase after, then there is no pursuit. So you need that zeal inside you for the pursuit to chase. When I think of the word pursuit, I think of a like a, a high-speed car chase. Adrenaline's flowing, you know, everything's going on. The person that's chasing is doing everything they can to get to, to what they want. That's what I think of when I think of a pursuit. It's that zeal, that fervor to get to where you need to be. And he also said, when we're looking for the one to pursue, we need to distinguish between voices and the voice. You know, there's a lot of distractions around, and there'll be lots of voices that can take us off track. But like Phil said this morning, if we seek the Holy Ghost, seek his voice, then he'll reveal Christ and the Father, and then he can lead us into the garden. So we need to distinguish between the voice and all the other voices that are going on around us. So what does your pursuit look like? If we turn to Psalm 63... Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. This is what our pursuit should look like. This is what we should be doing. We should be thirsting for him. The whole being longs for him. Our so is that what your pursuit looks like? Are you thirsting? Are you earnestly seeking him? Or are you just ambling along, hoping to find God, and you don't have any zeal? So it's important to have that zeal, because if you have that, that passion to go and seek Christ, then it will, it will attract God to you as well, because God will be looking for that person who is passionately seeking him. I'll give you a bit of a an illustration and a story about when me and Lisa first met. I used to play football with Paul, and Paul and Lisa went to school. So we're playing in this five-a-side tournament, and Lisa came along because Paul said, oh, you know, come along. But she didn't come to see Paul, or she also didn't know me. There was someone else there she had her eye on that she wanted to come and look at. But then when she saw me, obviously, she changed her mind. But from that point, she then started to pursue me. 
she saw me first. I didn't really, you know, I, was, I just wanted to play football. I wasn't really interested in girls at that point. <laughs> well, you say that. There was, it started with a letter from this girl that I had only really seen once via Paul. So every Friday night when we came to the youth group, Paul would come in and give me this letter from this girl that I'd only just met. And that went on for a bit. And you think that's pursuing. It is sort of borderline stalking. But, but it, was, it was her pursuit of me that got my attention. Because otherwise I probably would have just carried on with my life and, and carried on playing football. But it was, it was the, the pursuit of Lisa to me that got my attention. And then that turned my heart towards her. It's, that then be, I became attracted towards her because of her pursuit. And it was a persistence. Persistent pursuit is what we're looking for. And that's what she had. And for me, being the one pursued, it made me feel good. and made me want to be, to my, turn my heart towards her. It made me want to get to know her more because it felt good inside of me. And that's what God will feel like. If we pursue him, God will feel that towards us as well. So have you ever asked, why do you pursue God? Why do you need to pursue God? Is it because you've been drifting away? See, when, if you think of a, um, like a, a rock in the middle of the sea, and you can see it from the shore, and you get in a rowing boat, and you start rowing, and you, you're pursuing that, that rock, the rock's not moving, you're moving towards it. But then if you stop in the middle of the sea and think, okay, I've started rowing, I'm, my momentum will get me there somehow, you know, I'll just keep going, and then you stop, and then after a bit, the, the tide will take you away, and you will drift away from God, uh, from the rock, sorry, but if you're not with God, and you need to get back to him, where did you go? Because God hasn't moved, God stays there all the time, it's you that's been drifting away, so when, when you think about why you need to pursue God, Think about, is it me that has drifted away? Or do I, does my pursuit need to be um, one to get him to know deeper? So it's all a case of just looking at what your pursuit is, lo- looks like and think about why you need to pursue God. Okay, so our next point is laying hold of your lover, which doesn't fit on. There, so we've just called it intimacy. (laughs) Song of Songs 3, verse 4, or Song of Solomon, whichever your Bible says, says, Scarcely had I passed him, scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let go. So when we're pursuing somebody, at some point there has has to be an expectation that we will lay hold of them. Otherwise, what are we pursuing them for? So when we lay hold of them, when you lay hold of your lover, what then? If you don't learn how to interact with them on a meaningful level, you don't learn how to build something, then the pursuit itself becomes a waste of time. You'll just spend your whole life chasing after somebody who you'll never actually truly know. Which, what is the point in putting all that effort in if nothing's going to come from it? So most of us would recognise a desire to spend time with the one we love. 
If you love someone, you want to be with them. You want to get, you want their time and their attention. But that also means we have to give them our time and our attention. And we all know that time is the greatest commodity in our modern life. None of us have enough of it. And most of us don't know how to use it wisely either. That which we do have. You see, we value so many things in life and we give our time and our attention to that which we value. So how much do you truly value the one you claim to love? How much time do you really give to God? And how wisely do you spend your time with him? We all know in our natural relationships, our earthly relationships, our friends, our family, that we're never going to truly get to know someone If we're only ever superficial, if we only ever scratch the surface, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Well, actually, no, I'm not, but I'm not going to tell you that because I'm not going deep with you. If you never listen to people, you never ask them questions, you never talk openly, you're always distracted with what I've got to do when I get out of here later, then you're never going to build an intimate relationship. It's not how we would want our friends and family to be with us, and it isn't how we can be with our lover or not if we want him to stay our lover anyway. We've got to be, Phil mentioned it before about entering with joy, we've got to be eager and joyous to be in God's presence. And that's got to be evident in the way we talk to him, the way we are with him. You know, Dave and I have just been away for a few days for our anniversary. And it was something I was really looking forward to because we haven't had that quality time together for a while. Too much other stuff has been going on. And I was so excited to be there. If I'd have just sat with him, it's like, yeah, I can't be bothered with this. I can't be bothered with that. Let's just sit here and do nothing. It's not going to have done our relationship any good at all. And not only was I excited to be there, I remember remember we were sat in a coffee shop on one of the days. And I said, you know what? It's so nice to have this time and not be worrying about what I'm doing next. We've got nowhere to be, nothing to do. It's just me and you here for each other we need to give God that as well we need to have that it's not about what's coming next it's not about where I've got to be it's about being here in the moment with you so I've looked at the attitude we should have to being with God and how we should come to the garden our approach of him but how about how should we behave when we're there what should we do well the simple answer is be genuine be real Because he knows where we're coming from. But if we put on a front and we put on a face, then he knows that as well. He knows that we're not being open. He knows we're not being honest. And that's not an intimate relationship. I'm going to share something about where my life has been at the last few weeks because it's relevant. Now, a lot of you know that my family's been going through a really tough time. But some of you might not. A few weeks ago, my four-month-old nephew died suddenly. It was a shock. It wasn't expected. Not that that would have made it easy, but we weren't prepared for it. Then, on the day of the funeral, my mum's best friend of 29 years died. She was like the other half of my mum. So, all of these things have hit us hard, not surprisingly. It's meant to be tough. But the thing that I've learned through it, the thing that I have personally witnessed, is the power and the strength of people coming together, of being intimate together. Over these last few weeks, I have spent a lot of time with different members of my family. I've been at my brother's house 
almost every day. I've been with my mum. I've been with my sister. We've been vulnerable with each other. The same... My sister-in-law can put... She always has a mask on. She always has makeup. She doesn't let people in. But she's not been like that. She's let me in. She's been true with me. She's been open. She's shared a heart. We've sat together. We've talked. We've wept together. We've just sat and held each other silently. But it's changed my heart towards my family. I'm closer to them. I'm softer. I'm more loving. I'm more compassionate. And I'm less judgmental because I was quite judgmental about particularly my family, because I had high expectations of them. And now I've got a greater understanding of where they're coming from. And that's all come from being with them and being real with them. So if that's true of them, how much more so is that true of God? If we want to get to know God, if I want to understand God better, I have to be real with him. I have to be open with him. I've got to remove the mask, remove the barrier. And when I say I, I mean we. And when I say we, I mean you. We've all got to do it. We've all got to have that time with God where it's, this is who I am, this is where I am. Emma shared a song with me a while ago, um, and it's become really important to me. It helps me, it reminds me of what being in the garden is. Every time I hear it, I'm straight back in the garden with my lover. Now, for you, it might be slightly different because intimacy is different for each of us. But there are things in this that should be evident in a loving relationship. I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to sing it. (laughs) I'm just going to read a few of the lines. Said, You steady me, slow and sweet, we sway. You take the lead and I will follow. I'm finally ready now to close my eyes and just believe that you're not going to lead me where you don't go. He's not. He's a loving, he's a loving father, a loving friend, and just he's not gonna take you somewhere and abandon you. He's gonna be there with you every step of the way. He's not inviting you into his garden, and he's not asking you to invite you into to invite him into your garden and then gonna leave you there on your own. He wants to be with you. It says a bit later, here in your arms. You still my heart again. I breathe you in like I've never breathed till now. It's that level of intimacy. That every breath is something you share. And says, I will lock eyes with the one who's chosen me. The one who set my feet to dancing. And we dance just you and me. It's that intimacy of locking eyes. And truly seeing into one another. Truly being together. That is what the experience in the garden can be if you will allow it. Now, there's also, again, like I said, there's things we should do. We've got to be, it's not all about me. It's not all about me being open, me revealing who I am to God. There's got to be an element element of him revealing himself to you as well. Relationship goes both ways. So you should have a You should be able to focus on who he is and learn to vocalize that. Say it. Again, Song of Solomon 2.4 says, Show me your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. This is what God is saying to you. Let me hear your voice. He wants you to vocalize it. He wants you to speak to him. 
We've got to develop this language of love and get comfortable with using it. We've asked the question lately, how is your lover better than others? This is a, an, a fantastic question because it gets you really thinking about why God matters to you, why your lover is so important. But I don't want you to just leave it at that of why your lover is important to you because that just means that we're talking about God. We're talking about him to other people. We've got to be able to talk to him and tell him how we feel, tell him why he matters to us. Veronica, you probably thought you were going to get away with it because Phil wasn't preaching. But <laughs> the example, just, no, when I look at David and Veronica, I know that David is not on Facebook. So if Veronica was to go on Facebook and tell the whole world how wonderful David is, what she thought of him, in intimate detail of how amazing he is. And she came around to my house for tea and she sat there telling me all about how amazing David is. But she never tells him. What use is that going to do? Their relationship. So don't just spend your whole time talking about God to others. Make sure you tell him. And we've got to learn to draw on who he is. We've talked about that a little bit this morning on drawing on who he is. Drawing on who Christ is allows us to become more like him. It allows us to replicate who he is. Now, Paul and Emma, I can use them because they're not here. One of the things that I've seen in them that I want to replicate in my life is they have this amazing ability when they're with people to ask questions. But not just any questions, ask the right questions. I sit there and I look at them and the conversations they get in, it's like, why can't I do that? Well, I've got to ask that of myself and I've got to learn how to do it. But the point is, they, when they're with pastors, leaders, or just general people, they know exactly how to get to the heart of a person. They know what to ask to reveal that person's true nature and character. They know how to tap into what that person carries to draw on it and to replicate it in their own lives. That's what we have to be like with Christ, with our lover. We have to be able to draw on who he is so that we can replicate it and become more like him. So I mentioned before that there'll be a time to leave the garden. When you do, the success of your time spent with your lover will be dependent on your answer to the next few questions. Have you made the most of your time with your lover, drawing on his wisdom, his strength, and his knowledge? Do you know your lover better than you did before? And will you leave the garden better than when you entered it? Because after every time we encounter God, we have to be changed by it, by him. So we've pursued God. We've spent time in the garden building that relationship. We've gone deeper than we've ever gone before. So what else is there? Why can't we just stay in this place forever? Because we're just in the presence of God. But is that what God wants for us? I'll just read it because we're getting short on time. In Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then verse 5 says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go 
rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those that have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, and freely give. So Jesus sent out his disciples. He didn't keep them close to him. He told them, go out, take the kingdom, spread the kingdom, spread the word. And that's what God wants us to do. In Luke 10, it says the same thing about the 72. He sent them out. He didn't keep them all close to him. There was a purpose for their lives to go out and affect the different areas where they went. So we've built that relationship and we've gone deeper with him for a purpose. It's so we can hear, we can better hear when he gives us instruction and direction. Because we've pursued him and because we've spent time with him in the garden and built that relationship, we'll be able to know his voice and we'll be able to hear him clearer and better so we can go out and do what we're supposed to do. We can better represent him when we go out. You know, we can be more Christ-like because we've been spending time with him. Then it rubs off on you. And it means we've also built a strong barrier and a defense against things that might come and attack us and take us off course. So we can't just stay in the garden forever because is this really serving God and advancing his kingdom? If we just stay in that one place, stay inside the church, is that advancing the kingdom? God, and is it, it's not fulfilling his word, God wants us to go out. You know, there's people in church in general, not talking about this church, but the good people, they will seek and pursue God, but then they will spend all their time just serving within the church. And serving people is fine. You know, I serve in the coffee shop. It's not my calling. I'm not serving God just because I'm making paninis. We need to go out and do what, fulfill what God wants us to do. We should bring, we should go out and bring the kingdom and his will in whatever field he's put you in. So many of you know I'm moving towards going into politics. Now when God told me it was five or six years ago that you'll be going into politics, I was like, okay, never really had any interest in it before. But then I, I've got a time where I need to pursue God more. I need to build that relationship, stay with him, build up my um, training and character and get all the stuff I need to go out. But now the time has come where I have to step out. Because if I just stay in here forever, I'll never fulfill what God has told me to do. So recently, I had to step out and I joined a political party. I then started getting more involved in the various local council things. So it's stepping out, out of the safe place. That's where God wants us to be. But it's all the preparation we've done beforehand, the pursuing, the building relationship, will, keep, will stand me in good stead. Ralph and Irene, a few weeks ago, talked about faith. and They said, dwelling in his presence is where we grow our faith. But then you won't know how much faith you have until you step out. So we can build all the faith you want while you're here, but you won't know if you've, how much you've got until you step out and test it. And then once you've taken that first step, your faith will grow because God has, God has done what he said he'd do. So then you can take the next step and the next step. And it just builds and builds from there. So that is why it's important to pursue and important to be in his presence because you need to build that faith. So when you look at these three elements all together, there were some people 
that my skirt around the outside going from one to the other. But then if you think of the middle, where they all cross over, and if you think that's where God is, in the middle of all those things, what we want to try and do is we want to try and get to the middle as much as we can. So we need to pursue, and we need to be intimate with him, and we need to obey. But at the same time, while we're going out and doing, we still need to be pursuing, we still need to be seeking God and being in the garden with him. So it's all three of these elements come together as one so we can then go out and fulfill what we need to do. Okay, looking at those three elements, you might look at them and think, one of those things is really easy. It comes naturally. It's what I'm good at. But you should, you'll also probably find that one or two of them aren't that natural to you. They're a bit harder. For me, I can honestly say the serving God comes easier. I find it quite easy to go and do stuff for God. So yes, sometimes it depends on what it is he asks me. But generally I find that not too difficult. Dave's already told you, pursuit is not really my problem. <laughs> Persistently pursuing something that I want, it's quite easy. Maybe it's stubbornness, maybe it's determination. I don't know, whatever it is, I've got plenty of it. But intimacy and building intimacy, for me, is trickier. I'm so easily embarrassed and I struggle with eye contact. It makes me uncomfortable. So those things don't exactly help with building intimacy. But I have to be aware of that and I have to put the effort in there. It's not about neglecting the other two. It's about being aware of what is tricky for me. Because my discomfort could, could have stopped me from having a deep, and full, and meaningful relationship with God if I wasn't aware of it. If I hadn't pushed myself to overcome it, then where would I be now? Not here, that's for sure. But maybe that's not an issue for you. Let's say, Phil, you never get picked on. <laughs> say, Phil loves the excitement of pursuing after the one he loves. He loves being intimate and just resting in God's presence. He loves spending time with him. But when God tells him to go and do something, he can't really be bothered. Maybe he's lazy. Maybe the challenges of the world outside of the garden intimidate him. See, this isn't really you. <laughs> so maybe he just wants to hide in the garden and never go and do anything. He could use the excuse, but I'm just spending time with my lover. It's so important to be with God, which is true. But really, in this instance, it's an excuse to not go and do what's required. Maybe none of that is an issue for you. Maybe it's the pursuit itself. Maybe you have a problem with that. Maybe you have such a fear of rejection, you just don't want to put yourself out there. Whichever one it is, our challenge to you today is to identify which of these three areas, one, two, or even three of them, you find difficult. Maybe one of them is missing from your relationship with God altogether, which is going to affect your intimacy with him. So identify what your issues are and begin to work on them. But throughout it all, you've got to be mindful of the season you are in, both individually and corporately, and be aware of what God is requiring of you in the moment.
Be careful, Lisa. I have now got the mic. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, just take a few minutes, guys, and just pull some ends together. Intimacy, for most people, is not first nature. You know, we say, oh, it's second nature to me. It's not first nature, third nature, 14th nature. We have to grow in intimacy. If you ever read any of the material from Pastor Tony, he wrote a manual a long time ago called Don't Feed the Monkeys. And Don't Feed the Monkeys was all about worship. And he makes this point, and for you guys, youth and upwards, there's a point that's made in there, and it said there's a reason why youth move towards praise and everything is thrash the guitar, bang the drum, pull something out. Because when you're young, you don't know intimacy. Everything is straight in, straight out. Everything is just fast love. It's just, just connect. My hormones are racing, your hormones are racing. If my hormones race and your hormones race, if we clash at the crossroads, hey, then so be it. But then things change. Things change. You get older, you then will find terminology in your life going, I hope you're going to woo me. All right, okay. Am I, am I on very thin ice here already? <clears throat> it's a case of where relation, relationships concerned and intimacy. It's not about like when you were 17 or 18 and you just had a snog in the back of a Ford Cortina. It's not about that. It's you build, there's the intimacy, there's the connection. There is an emotional connection rather than just a hormonal race going on i don't need to get any more graphic do i okay right fine you've got the picture there's the learning to develop that intimacy so should we deal with the elephant in the room the elephant in the room goes like this he started off david and lisa and they said love never fails 1 corinthians 13 superb chapter you start to read that about love but love to you can be like a chinese burn Anybody ever been in love? Fellas, think before you stick your hand up. Anybody ever been in love and known the delights of love? Right, you're miserable. Has there anybody? I just said stick your hand up. Has anybody ever been in love? Does anybody would like to be in love? Anybody still in love? Oh, well, the hands are dropping. <laughs> so you know the delights of love. You know what it's like that. Again, it's that first kiss. It's the seeing somebody. This anticipation, yeah. which is based around that love. I can't wait. You know, when we had an instance yesterday, like love, but I'm using a completely random illustration. Ruby was going to a party yesterday, and the party's at one o'clock. Ruby got up at eight, jumps in the bath, puts on her party dress, and then it's, it must now be one o'clock. No, it's 10 to nine. And take that dress off because by the time you get there, you're going to look like you've been dragged through edge backwards. There's the anticipation of the one that you will meet, the one you will spend time with, the one that you will be intimate with. And intimacy is not a physical connection or just a physical connection. It's a connection of heart. It's a connection of emotion. It's thinking and feeling the same way. It's empathy. Intimacy is so much wider than just saying, it's you and me in a very private moment. Yeah? You build a relationship. God desires to reveal himself to you 
he, we've already said, he doesn't need to know you because he knows you. He knows every aspect of you, but he gives you every opportunity to find him where he's at. And God doesn't even care if you're like Lisa, a bit of a stalker on the sly. <laughs> when you're pursuing him, things change. Do you know, for those of us, again, who've done authentic and we look at stuff and we saw the way that we evaluated and looked at, we kind of reviewed the name of Jesus and we saw that the way that the world had reduced it to a swear name or a curse or it's just part of, oh, yeah, and you can use it in a completely defamative way so that it reduces its value when it's a name above all names in heaven, earth, and under the earth. Intimacy in a generation is being lost. Now you might think and go, Phil, but now you're just being spooky weird now. No, intimacy is being lost. Just open your radio times. I'll say three words and I'll see how spiritual or unspiritual you are. Love Island. Naked Attraction. Partner Swap. Love Island. Let's put all of these people in a room and see where sexual chemistry comes off and then Brian's with Mary and Mary's with Billy and Billy and Mary are with Jeff and it's all, this had some of the highest ratings of people without a life trying to watch somebody else have one. You look at stuff and going, there is no intimacy, no covenant, no anything. It's just the I'm pumped, you're pumped, let's the hormones race. Naked attraction is, let's cook to the chase. I walk into a room, we'll review, reveal all of these people naked in a room and which one I'm attracted to, that's the one I'm taking home. And then you'll have this one that's just been launched now. I think it's called Partner Swap. It might be something else where couples go together, they put them on an island and say, right, Scott, you're now longer with Sam. You're now with this person over here and let's see whether or not you can keep your hands to yourself and let's see if she can behave. Oh, and by the way, you're sleeping together and whatever. Let's see. Let's just see what happens. And we'll put lots of alcohol in the mix and see what happens. Think I might know what happens. Intimacy is lost for fast love. You know? And this is how, what is looking to raise, this is what's looking to hit a generation and put out a kind of marker. We'll do that kind of litmus test as to what is love, what is connection, what is relationship, throwaway stuff. But when I said about dealing with the elephant in the room, when David and Lisa just did a great job of showing us about the intimacy, being with the garden, blah, 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 and asking the questions, I don't know about you, but I'm sat in the front row, most of those answers are no. No. Have, do you pray with him enough? No. Have you been with him enough? No. Have you been in the garden? No. Have you been obedient? No. Have you pursued him? No. Have you been intimate? No. And then you think, what we're doing here? Well, there's tea in a bit. <laughs> the elephant in the room is this. Finding him and pursuing him for who he is, not what I get or what he will give. If I get religious about this and think I must pursue him, I must find him in the garden, I must beat myself up to try and find him, then it will negate everything that goes on. I work against myself when I get religious. 
I won't give you the name, but some years ago, there was a guy that I dealt with, and he was talking about building your quiet time with God. And he got to the stage, this guy in his life, and the situation went like this. Oh, I tithe everything. Sorry? 10%, yes. So I give 10% of my day to God. So I've got it down to two hours and 40 minutes where I will be reading. You know we're in religion, don't you? No, we're just in form. Whereas of all the times I write, Andrea, you can have 2.4 hours of my day. Very nice. It'd be nice if she got 2.4 hours of the day. Yeah, the point four, she'll deal with the point four at the minute. Oh, and just to let you know, if you want to find a stalker, never mind Lisa, look at the... That's a story for another day. That's a story for another day. Just because I've got the mic. No, but this whole process is I find him because I want to find him. Because he's interested in me and I'm interested in him. I might not know about him, but the excitement and the journey and the anticipation is finding him. Do you know the same thing was like this morning when we first start and we talk about bring a new song or let your voice start to come. You hearing the sound of your own voice at times can be a bit a bit crazy. David and Lisa said about finding the voice. I was trying to find the scripture, but I just couldn't, couldn't remember exactly what it is. But there is a scripture that says, Pharaoh is but a noise, but you are a voice. There is a difference between being a voice and being a noise. Question, are we ever out of the garden? David and Lisa were saying before, we cannot always stay in the garden, but we have to leave the garden. The answer to that, in my opinion, not saying I'm wrong, but I'm right, is that you never leave, but you always leave. What do we mean by that? Jesus left continually the work, the challenge, everything of moving into the world to find himself alone with the Father. So he left them to be alone, whereas you and I are caught up with diaries, iCal, excitement, everything that goes on and says, I'm now so popular, I haven't got time for everything because they've given me a preaching date and I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Jesus was seen break out, raising the dead, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. All of that was going on with the demands of people, but the most important thing in my life is to be where he is. I only say and do what he says to me and I see the Father doing. So he finds it in the intimacy. So every day in your life, you must be obedient, you must be practical, you must pursue, you must be the kingdom demonstration. But every day I must be still found in the garden. Because it's in the garden that I'll know the words to say and the life to live. Or else otherwise, I'm trying to remember what it was and going out and just doing something. I find the intimacy of where he is. And from that place of intimacy, I can just come out. Have you ever seen some of your faces when you've had that? No, you want to see some of your faces. Have you seen it when we use the term, like, for instance, again, you know, I'm not a Facebooker. I'm not a Facebooker. Angie informs me on Facebook. And one of the things she informed me on Facebook was, 
Pat and Steve were having a lovely weekend away in York with their sister last week. Was that right? And then you see it, or David and Lisa have been away in Liverpool. I believe it was Liverpool. And they had a couple of days together. And do you know what us guys do? We see you and go, look at them, they're all loved up. <laughs> they're loved up because you're touchy-feely. You're nice to be around. That edge that you had before you left might have disappeared <laughs> because you had a foot massage and a double capo chapelito, whatever it is, in the coffee shop. You got pampered and loved up a little bit and you came back and you're a different person. Is that right? I know myself that if I've withdrawn from him in the garden through being busy, I'm not talking about I fell into a life of sin, but do you know when you can be so busy, you're too busy? So it's, you, I am down to every day with Jesus and you have fired up the SOS prayer. But of course that's only me and I'm talking about any of you. I know when I'm not in his presence... Old Phil is the one that will deal with Ange, and old Phil is the one that will deal with his kids. Ange will be so much more loved and so much more taken care of, and the kids will get so much more justice when I have been with him than when I'm just with me. Do you know that? This is the power of intimacy. If I find him, I can't help but reflect him. And carry that heart. We need to be intimate for self-preservation. You are better after being with him than you were when you wasn't. Do you know that? And he's waiting. Ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Fellas, you just look as blank as you do now. But you know when you are waiting for him to say those words you're waiting to hear? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right, okay. Ladies, you're waiting for that word of him just saying something, just that word, that attention, there's that little bit that he's waiting to say. God is waiting for you just to bring those words, even when you sit and go, God, I haven't a clue what to say, but I want to be where you're at. You might find this a struggle to understand, but I am not the best conversationalist. I'm not. I'm not the best conversationalist. Ask Ange. I can sit in the car and not say anything for two hours and not be bothered about it. Because I can get caught in living inside there. Yeah? There's an awful lot of conversation going on. But a conversation can be going on in there. And not necessarily out of here. But it's finding that when I come to him... I start to ask in this bit where he's addressing me, say, Holy Ghost, you need to show me the words that I can say to him. Ephesians says, find out what pleases the Lord. It's not just about what you do. To me, one of the greatest scriptures you will ever read is that when Jesus was baptized and he comes out of the water and the heavens open above him and the Father says, this is my beloved in whom I am, what, he do, what had he done? Nothing. The father was pleased that he had a son who had a relationship with him. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't done a miracle. He hadn't preached. He hadn't seen anybody saved. He hadn't been a kingdom demonstration. 
He was a son who loved the father. God says, when you can find that place of loving me, then I'm pleased. We think it's more by what you do rather than what you are. To all, on, all who call on him, he gives the power to become. It's in the becoming that we'll find the intimacy. So please, if there's just one thing I would say this morning, <clears throat> we all need more intimacy. We all want more intimacy. But we find that in the word. We find that as we draw on the spirit. We find that in our conversations. <clears throat> but just to finish, and on this we can have a cup of tea. When you're couples and you start to grow, there was a term that's used, and it can be used around t- church at times. It says, you can either run around with turkeys or you can learn to soar like an eagle. Yeah? yeah? Meaning that different circles have different skill sets. Yeah? So it's like this. If I'm a young couple and I want to know how to do intimacy, and I want to know how to do relationship, then I start talking to David and Veronica. I start talking to Andy and Shirley. I start talking to Pastor Carol and Pastor Tony. I start talking to Chris and Kath. I talk to people who's been the journey and done a distance. Because you don't know about conflict. You don't know about raising kids. You, you see, the thing about love is this. I say this to my kids, not often, but I've said this. You know this, that love is always good. I love you, but I don't always like you. I love you, but I don't always like you. So there's times when Angie and I might have to look in our eyes and say, we're here for covenant, we're here for the long distance. I could just strangle you and smother you in your sleep. Maybe that's that thought that goes around in my head that never... I'm just thinking. I'll keep that in my head. The truth is, she never sleeps, so I'll never get the opportunity. (laughs) Sleeps with one eye open. (laughs) But the thing is this. Maybe you've had great patterns in your life. Maybe you've had great models in your life. Maybe you haven't. But even if you haven't, it's no excuse for not finding them. If I look at, and I still say this, I say it publicly as I've said it privately. If I wanted to know about romance and how to do romance, I always looked at Andy as the model. Andy might be a dipstick in lots of areas, and I love him. I love him. No, because no, Andy's not always right, and Phil's not always right. But guess what? I see the way that he can move in an area where I go... I can learn from that and model that. And there'll be things that Pastor Tony has. And there'll be things that David has. When I look at it, and I look at David and Beatrice of how many years they were together, I look at the way that there's certain issues and go, right, that's how I can draw and start to add that into my life. Lisa said before, didn't she, that I wish I could just start conversations and ask those awkward questions. I don't do conversations, but I'm good at awkward questions. Anybody who wants a pointy stick, please turn up. I've got the, yeah, I've got the license on pointy sticks. But no, the whole issue is this. What you don't do well should never be an excuse. If you don't do it well, work at it. Find it. Make a friend. 
get to the place of building in relationship. Get to the place where you can build so much with somebody that you can tell them something that you've never told anybody else, that you have let the skeleton out of the closet. But even more, if you get into his presence and say, my God, Holy Ghost, I need you to show me how I can interact with you, the Father and the Son, you know he's going to show you. He's not going to go, you're a scuffer, stay over there until you know what to say. Sometimes the best prayer you've ever got is, God, help me. And just allow him to move to there. But we can have a season of intimacy. We can have a season of new beginnings. I pray and my heart is... You know when you think, put your brain in gear before you put your mouth in motion... My desire would be for every married couple in here a second honeymoon. Let there be a second honeymoon. But men, this is not about flowers and roses and what do you get at the end. This is all about, I pray for a second honeymoon that I can start to love her and see her as Christ sees her. And when I see her that way, I will see the value that she brings to me and the value that I bring to her as we raise our offspring, if God ever blessed us with children or we haven't been blessed. But when I can see her as Christ sees her, just watch how intimacy will change. So come on, church, let's just stand to our feet. Intimacy is a fantastic thing. Fantastic. It's not always a thing we're always comfortable with. But it's something we should be comfortable with. Yeah? And in a throwaway, disposable generation, he's not it. When I'm in, I'm in. I'm in, hook, line, and sinker. Amen? So come on, church. Let's just raise our holy hands as we just seal this day. Father, we want to thank you, my God. We thank you, Holy Ghost, that you have been so much with us today. We thank you for the tangible presence of the Holy Ghost. We thank you that you've wanted to arrest us so that you could rest on us. Father, we pray for that area of our spirit that you said we can have it so it's as sensitive as our skin. We pray intimacy with the Holy Ghost. We pray intimacy with the Father. And we pray for greater clarity and intimacy with the Son. We pray, my God, Father, that that thing that we don't like to say, but Lord God, Father, you say that as you love us in your heart, is for us or not against us, that you will still discipline those you love. That, Father, you form us, that you mold us, that you shape us to be the desired representation of what you want at the end of the day. But, Lord, again, we seal today, and I pray, Father, for every married couple in here today, Lord God. Father, I pray for levels of intimacy like they've never seen. I pray, Father, open the eyes of the men to see their wives the way that Christ would see them. Give us the ability, Lord God, to wash them with the word, to lift them to how they should be, to give them the esteem, to speak the validation that these women, Lord God, will be so secure in the environment, Lord God, because when we see the pattern of Jesus Christ and how women flock to him, it wasn't because he was a looker, it was because of what he did to them that caused them to be different. Lord God, I pray for an acceleration of our men and I pray for an acceleration of our ladies, Father. Oh, my God, I pray that this group of people will be so secure, so at home, Father, because we find who we are in you. 
And Lord God, I pray for a disposable generation that, Lord God, that will never be found in our midst. That, Lord God, I pray for longevity. I pray for covenant and the power of covenant. That, Lord God, Father, we are in this for life and godliness. But, Lord God, we just want to bless you. Bless you for what you're doing in our lives today. Bless you for what you're doing in the kids. Give them journey and mercies as they just travel home. And, Lord God, Father, I pray that when they're back, cause that light and fire to continue to flame. That, Lord God, Father, they will continue on a day-to-day basis, fanning to flame the gift of God which you've been putting inside of them. We want to bless you for today. I bless you for your presence. I bless you for this house. I bless you for the people that's been stood here before us, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, the compounded blessings of heaven upon them. May there be peace to you, peace to your house, and peace to everything that you own. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Bless you.